Part Two, Chapter Eighteen of the Daisy Chain. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Nancy Cochran Gergen, Gilbert, Arizona. The Daisy Chain by Charlotte Mary Young. Margaret had borne the meeting much too well for her own good, and a wakeful night of palpitation was the consequence but she would not allow any one to take it to heart, and declared that she should be ready to enjoy Harry by the time he should return, and meantime she should dwell on the delight of his meeting Flora. No one had rested too soundly that night, and Dr. May had not been able to help looking in at his sleeping boy at five in the morning, to certify himself that he had not only figured his present bliss to himself in his ten minutes' dream, and looking in again at half-past seven, he found Harry half-dressed, with his arm round Mary, laughing, almost sobbing, over the treasures in his cupboard, which he had newly discovered in their fresh order. Dr. May looked like a new man that morning, with his brightened eye and bearing, as if there were a wellspring of joy within him, ready to brim over at once in tear and in smile, and finding an outlet in the praise and thanksgiving that his spirit chanted, and his face expressed, and in that sunny, genial benevolence that must make all share his joy. He was going to run over half the town. Everyone would like to hear it from him. Ethel and Mary must go to the rest. The old women in the almshouses, where lived an old cook who used to be fond of Harry, they should have a feast. All who were well enough in the hospital should have a tea-drinking. Dr. Hoxton had already granted a holiday to the school. Every boy with whom they had any connection should come to dinner, and Edward Anderson should be asked to meet Harry on his return, because, poor fellow, he was so improved. Dr. May was in such a transport of kind-hearted schemes that he was not easily made to hear that Harry had not a sixpence wherewith to reach London. Ethel, meanwhile, was standing beside her brother, tendering to him some gold as his last quarter. "'How did you get it, Ethel?' "'Do you keep the purse?' "'No, but Papa took Coxmore in your stead, when—' "'Nonsense, Ethel,' said Harry. "'I don't want it. "'Have I not all my pay and allowance for the whole time I was dead? "'And as to Robin Coxmore—' "'Yes, keep it, Ethel,' said her father. "'Do you think I would take it now, when if there were thank-offering in the world? "'And, by the by, your Coxmore children must have something to remember this by.' Everyone could have envied Norman for travelling to London with Harry, but that he must proceed to Oxford in two days, when Harry would return to them. The station-master, thinking he could not do enough for the returned mariner, put the two brothers into the coop, as if they had been a bridal couple, and they were very glad of the privacy, having, as yet, hardly spoken to each other, when Harry's attention was dispersed among so many." Norman asked many questions about the mission work in the southern hemisphere, and ended by telling his brother of his design, which met with Harry's hearty approbation. "'That's right, old June. There's nothing they want so much as such as you. How glad my aunt will be! Perhaps you will see David. Oh, if you were to go out to the loyalty group!' "'Very possibly I might,' said Norman. "'Tell them you are my brother, and how they will receive you.' I can see the mopeds they will dress in honor of you, and what a feast of pork and yams you will have to eat, but there is plenty of work among the Maoris for you. 
They want a clergyman terribly at the next village to my uncle's place. I say, Norman, it will go hard if I don't get a ship bound for the Pacific and come and see you. I shall reckon on you, that is, if I have not to stay to help my father. To be sure, exclaimed Harry, I thought you would have stayed at home and married little Miss Rivers. Thus broadly and boyishly did he plunge into that most tender subject, making his brother start and wince as if he had touched a wound. "'Nonsense!' he cried, almost angrily. "'Well, you used to seem very much smitten, but so, to be sure, were some of the Alcestes with the young ladies at Valparaiso. How we used to roast Owen about that Spanish dona, and he was as bad at Sydney about the young lady whose father, we told him, was a convict, though he kept such a swell carriage.' He had no peace about his father-in-law, the housebreaker. Don't I remember how you pinched her hand the night you were righted? You know nothing about it, said Norman shortly. She is far beyond my reach. A fine lady? Ha! Well, I should have thought you as good as Flora any day, said Harry indignantly. She is what she always was, said Norman, anxious to silence him. But it is unreasonable to think of it. She is all but engaged to Sir Henry Walkingham. Walkingham, cried the volatile sailor. I have half a mind to send in my name to Flora as Miss Walkingham. And he laughed heartily over that adventure, ending, however, with a sigh, as he said, It had nearly cost me a great deal. But tell me, Norman, how has that Maida, as they called her, turned out? I never saw anything prettier or nicer than she was that day of the Roman encampment and I should be very sorry if that fine, fashionable aunt of hers had made her stuck up and disdainful. No such thing, said Norman. Ha, said Harry to himself. I see how it is. She has gone and made poor old June unhappy, with her scornful airs, a little impertinent puss. I wonder Flora does not teach her better manners. Norman, meanwhile, as the train sped over roofs and among chimneys, was reproaching himself for running into the fascination of her presence, and then recollecting that her situation, as well as his destiny, both guaranteed that they could meet only as friendly connections. No carriage awaited them at the station, which surprised Norman, till he recollected that the horses had probably been out all day, and it was eight o'clock. Going to Park Lane in a cab, the brothers were further surprised to find themselves evidently not expected, the butler came to speak to them, saying that Mr. and Mrs. Rivers were gone out to dinner, but would return, probably, at about eleven o'clock. He conducted them upstairs, Harry following his brother, in towering vexation and disappointment, trying to make him turn to hear that they would go directly, home, to Eden, anywhere. Why would he go in at all? The door was opened, Mr. May was announced, and they were in a silk-lined boudoir where a little slender figure in black started up and came forward with outstretched hand. Norman, she cried, how are you? Are you come on your way to Oxford? Has not Flora had Mary's letter? Yes, she said she had one. She was keeping it till she had time to read it. As she spoke, Maida had given her hand to Harry, as it was evidently expected. She raised her eyes to his face and said, smiling and blushing, I am sure I ought to know you, but I am afraid I don't. Look again, said Norman. See if you have ever seen him before. 
laughing glancing and casting down her eyes she raised them with a sudden start of joy but coloring more deeply said indeed i cannot remember i dare say i ought i think you see a likeness said norman oh yes i see she answered faltering but perceiving how bright were the looks of both no impossible yes it is yes it is said both brothers with one voice she clasped her hands absolutely bounded with transport then grasped both harry's hands and then norman's her whole countenance radiant with joy and sympathy beyond expression dear dear dr may was her first exclamation oh how happy you must all be and margaret she looked up at norman and came nearer is not mr ernscliff come she asked softly and trembling no was the low answer which Harriet could not bear here, and therefore walked to the window. No, Maida, but Margaret is much comforted about him. He died in great peace, in his arms, as he signed towards his brother. And as Harry continued to gaze out on the stars of gas on the opposite side of the park, he was able to add a few of the particulars. Maida's eyes glistened with tears as she said, Perhaps it would have been too perfect if he had come. But, oh, Norman! How good she is to bear it so patiently, and how gloriously he behaved! How can we make enough of him? And Flora out! How sorry she will be! And she never opened Mary's letter, said Harry, coming back to them. She little thought what it contained, said Maida. Mary's letters are apt to bear keeping, you know, and she was so busy that she laid it aside for a treat after the day's work. But there, inhospitable wretch that I am! you have had no dinner a refection of tea and cold meat was preferred and in her own pretty manner maida lavished her welcomes trying to cover any pain given by flora's neglect what makes her so busy asked harry looking round on the beautifully furnished apartment which to many eyes besides those fresh from a melanesian hut might have seemed a paradise of luxurious ease you don't know what an important lady you have for a sister said maida merrily but tell me what can she have to do i thought you london ladies had nothing to do but to sit with your hands before you entertaining company meta laughed heartily shall i begin at the beginning i'll describe to-day then and you must understand that this is what tom would call a mild specimen only one evening engagement though perhaps i ought to start from last night at twelve o'clock when she was at the austrian ambassador's ball and came home at two but she was up by eight. She always manages to get through her housekeeping matters before breakfast. At nine, breakfast, and baby, by the by, you have never inquired for our niece. I have not come to believe in her yet, said Harry. Seeing is believing, said Maida, but no, I won't take an unfair advantage over her mamma, and she will be fast asleep. I never knew a child sleep as she does. So to go on with our day, the papers come and miss leonora is given over to me for you must know we are wonderful politicians laura studies all the debates till george finds out what he has heard in the house and baby and i profit baby goes out walking and the post comes laura always goes to the study with george and writes and does all sorts of things for him she is the most useful wife in the world at twelve we had our singing lesson singing lesson exclaimed harry yes you know she has a pretty voice 
and she is glad to cultivate it. It is very useful at parties, but it takes up a great deal of time, and with all I can do to save her in note-writing, the morning is gone directly. After luncheon, she had to ride with George, and came back in a hurry to make some canvassing calls about the orphan asylum and Miss Bracy's sister. If we get her in at all, it will be Flora's diplomacy. And there was shopping to do, and when we came in hoping for time for our letters, there were the Walkinghams, who stayed a long time, so that Flora could only dispatch the most important notes before George came in and wanted her. She was reading something for him all the time she was dressing, but, as I say, this is quite a quiet day. Stop, cried Harry, with a gesture of oppression. It sounds harder than cleaning knives, like Aunt Flora. And what is an unquiet day like? You will see, for we have a great evening party tomorrow. Do you always stay at home? asked Harry. Not always, but I do not go to large parties or balls this year, said Maida, glancing at her deep mourning. I am very glad of a little time at home. So you don't like it? Oh, yes, it is very pleasant, said Maida. It is so entertaining when we talk it over afterwards, and I like to hear how Flora is admired and called the beauty of the season. I tell George, and we do so gloat over it together. There was an old French marquis the other night, a dear old man, quite of the ancien regime, who said she was exactly like the portraits of Madame de Montenon, and produced a beautiful miniature on a snuff-box, positively like that very pretty form of face of hers. The old man even declared that Mistress Rivers was worthy to be a Frenchwoman. "'I should like to kick him,' amiably responded Harry. "'I hope you won't tomorrow. "'But don't let us waste our time over this. "'I want so much to hear about New Zealand.' Maida was well-read in Australasian literature "'and drew out a great deal more information from Harry "'than Norman had yet heard. "'She made him talk about the Maori Pa near his uncle's farm, "'where the Sunday services were conducted by an old gentleman, "'tattooed elegantly in the face, "'but dressed like an English clergyman.' and tell of his aunt's troubles about the younger generation whom their elders though christians themselves could not educate and who she feared would relapse into heathenism for want of instruction though with excellent dispositions how glad you must be that you are likely to go exclaimed maida to norman who had sat silently listening the sound of the doorbell was the first intimation that harry's histories had occupied them until long past twelve o'clock now then cried maida springing forward as if intending to meet flora with the tidings but checking herself as if she ought not to be the first there was a pause flora was hearing downstairs that mr norman may and another gentleman had arrived and while vexed at her own omission and annoyed at norman's bringing friends without waiting for permission she was yet prepared to be courteous and amiable she entered in her rich black watered silk deeply trimmed with lace and with silver ornaments in her dark hair so graceful and distinguished looking that harry stood suspended hesitating for an instant whether he beheld his own sister especially as she made a dignified inclination towards him offering her hand to norman as she said maida has told you but there she broke off exclaiming ha is it possible no surely it cannot be miss walkingham said the sailor who had felt at home with her at the first word, and she flew into his great rough arms. "'Harry! This is dear Harry! Our own dear sailor come back!' cried she, as her husband stood astonished. And, springing towards him, she put Harry's hands into his. "'My brother Harry! Our dear lost one!' 
your brother harry slowly pronounced george as he instinctively gave the grasp of greeting your brother that was lost upon my word as the matter dawned fully on him and he became eager i am very glad to see you i never was more rejoiced in my life when did you come have you been at home asked flora i came home yesterday mary wrote to tell you poor dear old mary there's a lesson against taking a letter on trust i thought it would be all cocksmore and would wait for a quiet moment how good to come to me so soon you dear old shipwrecked mariner i was forced to come to report myself said harry or i could not have come away from my father so soon the usual questions and their sad answers ensued and while flora talked to harry fondly holding his hand norman and meta explained the history to george who no sooner comprehended it that he opined it must have been a horrid nuisance and that harry was a gallant fellow then striking him over the shoulder welcomed him home with all his kind heart told him he was proud to receive him and falling into a state of rapturous hospitality rang the bell and wanted to order all sorts of eatables and drinkables but was sadly baffled to find him already satisfied there was more open joy than even at home and flora was supremely happy as she sat between her brothers listening and inquiring till far past one o'clock when she perceived poor george dozing off awakened every now and then by a great nod and casting a wishful glance of resigned remonstrance as if to appeal against sitting up all night the meeting at breakfast was a renewal of pleasure flora was proud and happy in showing off her little girl a model baby as she called her a perfect doll for quietness so that she could be brought in at family prayers and said flora i am the more glad that she keeps no one away because we can only have evening prayers on sunday it is a serious thing to arrange for such a household she is equal to anything said george the long file of servants marched in george read sonorously and flora rose from her knees highly satisfied at the impression produced upon her brothers i like to have the baby with us at breakfast she said it is the only time of day when we can be sure of seeing anything of her and i like her nurse to have some respite do you think her grown norman not very much said norman who thought her more inanimate and like a pretty little waxen toy than when he had last seen her is she not rather pale london makes children pale i shall soon take her home to acquire a little colour you must know sir henry has bitten us with his yachting tastes and as soon as we can leave london we are going to spend six weeks with the walkinghames at ryde and rival you harry i think miss leonora will be better at home so we must leave her there lodgings and irregularities don't suit people of her age does home mean stoneborough asked norman no old nurse has one of her deadly prejudices against preston and i would not be responsible for the consequences of shutting them up in the same nursery margaret would be distracted between them no miss you shall make her a visit every day and be fondled by your grandpapa george began a conversation with harry on nautical matters and norman tried to discover how maida liked the yachting project and found her prepared to think it charming hopes were expressed that harry might be at portsmouth and a quantity of gay scheming ensued with reiterations of the name walkingham while norman had a sense of being wrapped in some gray mist excluding him from participation in their enjoyments and condemned his own temper as frivolous for being thus excited to discontent 
Presently he heard George insisting that he and Harry should return in time for the evening party, and on beginning to refuse, was amazed to find Harry's only objection was on the score of lack of uniform. "'I don't want you in one, sir,' said Flora. "'I have only one coat in the world besides this,' continued Harry, "'and that is all over tar.' "'George will see to that,' said Flora. "'Don't you think you would be welcome in matting with an orange cowrie round your neck?' Norman, however, took a private opportunity of asking Harry if he was aware of what he was undertaking, and what kind of people they should meet. "'All English people behave much the same in a room,' said Harry, as if all society, provided it was not cannibal, were alike to him. "'I should have thought you would prefer finding our forder in his chambers, or going to one of the theatres.' "'As you please,' said Harry. "'But Flora seems to want us, and I should rather like to see what sort of company she keeps.' Since Harry was impervious to shyness, Norman submitted, and George took them to a wonder-worker in cloth, who undertook that full equipments should await the young gentleman. Harry next dispatched his business at the Admiralty, and was made very happy by tidings of his friend Owen's safe arrival in America. Thence the brothers went to Eton, where home letters had been more regarded, and Dr. May, having written to secure a holiday for the objects of their visit, they were met at the station by the two boys. Hector's red face and prominent light eyebrows were instantly recognized, but, as to Tom, Harry could hardly believe that the little, dusty, round-backed grub he had left had been transformed into the well-made gentleman-like lad before him, particularly trim and accurate in dress, even to the extent of as much foppery as Eaton taste permitted. Ten minutes had not passed before Tom, taking a survey of the newcomer, began to exclaim at Norman for letting him go about such a figure, and before they knew what was doing, they had all been conducted into the shop of the only living men who knew how to cut hair. Laughing and good-natured, Harry believed his hair was rather long, allowed himself to be seated, and to be divested of a huge superfluous mass of sun-dried curls, which Tom, particularly resenting that rather long, kept on taking up, and unrolling from their tight rings to measure the number of inches. "'That is better,' said he, as they issued from the shop. "'But, as to that coat of yours, the rogue who made it should never make another. Where could you have picked it up?' "'At a shop at Auckland,' said Harry, much amused. "'Kept by a savage?' said Tom, to whom it was no laughing matter. "'See that scene!' "'Have done, May!' exclaimed Hector. "'He will think you a tailor's apprentice.' "'Or worse,' said Norman. "'Rivers's tailor kept all strictures to himself.' Tom muttered that he only wanted Harry to be fit to be seen by the fellows. "'The fellows are not such asses as you,' cried Hector. "'You don't deserve that he should come to see you. "'If my—' "'There poor Hector broke off. "'If his own only brother had been walking beside him, "'how would he not have felt? "'They had reached their tutor's house, and, opening his own door—' he made an imploring sign to Harry to enter with him. On the table lay a letter from Margaret, and another which Harry had written to him from Auckland. "'Oh, Harry, you were with him,' he said. "'Tell me all about him.' And he established himself, with his face hidden on the table, uttering nothing except, "'Go on,' whenever Harry's voice failed in the narration. When something was said of, "'All for the best,' he burst out. "'He might say so.' I suppose one ought to think so. But is not it hard when I had nobody but him? And there was Maplewood, 
and I might have been so happy there with him and Margaret. They say nothing could have made Margaret well, said Harry. I don't care. He would have married her all the same, and we should have made her so happy at Maplewood. I hate the place. I wish it were at Jericho. You are captain of the ship now, said Harry, and you must make the best of it. I can't. It will never be home. Home is with Margaret and the rest of them. So Alan said he hoped you would make it, and you are just like one of us, you know. What's the use of that, when Captain Gordon will not let me go near you? Taking me to that abominable Maplewood last Easter, with half the house shut up, and all horrid, and he is as dry as a stick. The captain, cried Harry angrily, there's not a better captain to sail with in the whole navy, and your brother will be the first to tell you so. I'm not discharged yet. Hector, you'd better look out what you say. Maybe he is the best to sail with, but that is not being the best to live with said the Arab Maplewood disconsolately. Alan himself always said he never knew what home was till he got to your father and Margaret. So will you, said Harry. Why, my father is your master, or whatever you may call it. No, Captain Gordon is my guardian. Eh? What's become of the will, then? What will? cried Hector. Did Alan make one after all? Aye, at Valparaiso he had a touch of fever, I went ashore to nurse him, to a merchant's, who took us in for love of our Scottish blood. Mr. Ernscliffe made a will there, and left it in his charge. Do you think he made Dr. May my guardian? He asked me whether I thought he would dislike it, and I told him no. That's right, cried Hector. That's like dear old Ellen. I shall get back to the doctor and Margaret after all. Mind you write to the captain, Harry. Hector was quite inspirited and ready to return to the others but Harry paused to express a hope that he did not let Tom make such a fool of himself as he had done today. Not he, said Hector. He is liked as much as anyone in the house. He has been five times sent up for good. See there in the Eaton list. He is a real clever fellow. Aye, but what's the good of all that if you let him be a puppy? Oh, he'll be cured. A fellow that has been a sloven always is a puppy for a bit, said Hector philosophically. Norman was meantime taking Tom to task for these same airs, and, hearing it was from the desire to see his brother respectable, Stoneboro men never cared for what they looked like, and he must have Harry do himself credit. You need not fear, said Norman. He did not require Eden to make him a gentleman. How now? Why, Tom, old man, you are not taking that to heart. That's all over long ago. For that black spot in his life had never passed out of the lad's memory, and it might be from the lurking want of self-respect that there was about him so much of self-assertion in attention to trifles. He was very reserved, and no one except Norman had ever found the way to anything like confidence, and Norman had vexed him by the proposal he had made in the holidays. He made no answer, but stood looking at Norman with an odd, undecided gaze. "'Well, what now, old fellow?' said Norman." half fearing that might not be absolutely over. One would think you were not glad to see Harry. I suppose he has made you all the more set upon that mad notion of yours, said Tom. So far as making me feel that that part of the world has a strong claim on us, replied Norman. I'm sure you don't look as if you found your pleasure in it, cried Tom. Pleasure is not what I seek, said Norman. What is the matter with you, said Tom? You said I did not seem rejoiced. You look worse, I am sure. 
Tom put his arm around Norman's shoulder and looked solicitously at him, demonstrations of affection very rare with him. I wonder which would really make you happiest, to have your own way and go to these black villains. Remember that but for others who have done so, Harry. Pshaw, said Tom, rubbing some invisible dust from his coat sleeve, if it would keep you at home, I would say I never would hear of doctoring. I thought you had said so. What's the use of my coming here if I'm to be a country doctor? I have told you I do not mean to victimize you. If you have a distaste to it, there's an end of it. I am quite ready. Tom gave a great sigh. No, he said, if I must, I must. I don't mind the part of it that you do. I only hate the name of it and the being tied down to a country place like that while you go out thousands of miles off to these savages. But if it is the only thing to content you, I won't stand in your way. I can't bear you looking disconsolate. Don't think yourself bound if you really dislike the profession. I don't, said Tom. It is my free choice. If it were not for the horrid sick people, I should like it. Promising. It must be confessed. Perhaps Tom had expected Norman to brighten at once, but it was a fallacious hope. The gaining his point involved no pleasant prospect, and his young brother's moody devotion to him suggested scruples whether he ought to exact the sacrifice, though, in his own mind, convinced that it was Tom's vocation, and knowing that would give him many of the advantages of an eldest son. Eaton fully justified Hector's declaration that it would not regard the cut of Harry's coat. The hero of a lost ship and savage isle was the object of universal admiration and curiosity, and inestimable were the favors conferred by Hector and Tom in giving introductions to him, till he had shaken hands with half the school and departed amid deafening cheers. In spite of Harry, the day had been long and heavy to Norman, and though he chided himself for his depression, he shrank from the sight of Meta and Sir Henry walking him together, and was ready to plead an aching head as an excuse for not appearing at the evening party. But, besides that this might attract notice, he thought himself bound to take care of Harry in so new a world, where the boy must be at a great loss. "'I say, old June,' cried a voice at his door, "'are you ready?' "'I have not begun dressing yet. Will you wait?' "'Not I. The fun is beginning.' Norman heard the light foot scampering downstairs, and prepared to follow, to assume the protection of him. Music sounded as Norman left his room, and he turned aside to avoid the stream of company flowing up the flower-deck stairs, and made his way into the rooms through Flora's boudoir. He was almost dazzled by the bright lights, and the gay murmurs of the brilliant throng. Young ladies with flowers, and velvet streamers down their backs, old ladies portly and bejeweled, gentlemen looking civil, abounded wherever he turned his eyes. He could see Flora's graceful head bending as she received guest after guest, and the smile with which she answered congratulations on her brother's return. But Harry he did not so quickly perceive, and he was trying to discover in what corner he might have hidden himself, when Maida stood beside him, asking whether their Eden journey had prospered, and how poor Hector was feeling at Harry's return. "'Where is Harry?' asked Norman. "'Is he not rather out of his element?' "'No, indeed,' said Maida, smiling. "'Why, he is the lion of the night. "'Poor fellow, how he must hate it. "'Come this way, into the front room. "'There, look at him. "'Is it not nice to see him, "'so perfectly simple and at his ease, "'neither shy nor elated? 
and what a fine-looking fellow he is. Meta might well say so. The trim, well-knit, broad-chested form, the rosy and brown honest face, the shining light-brown curly locks, the dancing well-open blue eyes, and Mary Hardy's smile showed to the best advantage, in a ray that even Tom would not have spurned, put on with naval neatness, and his attitude and manner were so full of manly ease that it was no wonder that every eye rested on him with pleasure. Norman smiled at his own mistake, and asked who were the lady and gentleman conversing with him. Meta mentioned one of the most distinguished of English names, and shared his amusement in seeing Harry talking to them with the same frank, unembarrassed ease as when he had that morning shaken hands with their son, in the capacity of Hector Earnscliffe's fag. No one present inspired him with a tithe of the awe he felt for a post-captain. It was simply a pleasant assembly of good-natured folks, glad to welcome home a battered sailor, and of pretty girls, for whom he had a sailor's admiration, but without forwardness or presumption, all in happy, grateful simplicity. "'I suppose you cannot dance,' said Flora to him. "'I?' was Harry's interjection, and while she was looking round for a partner to whom to present him, he had turned to the young daughter of his new acquaintance, and had her on his arm, unconscious that George had been making his way to her. Flora was somewhat uneasy, but the mother was looking on smiling, and expressed her delight in the young midshipman, and Mrs. Rivers, while listening gladly to his praises, watched heedfully, and was reassured to see that dancing was as natural to him as everything else. His steps were light as a feather, his movement all freedom and joy, without being boisterous, and his boyish chivalry as pretty a sight as any one could wish to see. If the rest of the world enjoyed their dances a quarter as much as did Mr. May, they were enviable people, and he contributed not a little to their pleasure, if merely by the sight of his blithe freshness and spirited simplicity, as well as a general sympathy with his sister's joy and the interest in his adventures. He would have been a general favorite if he had been far less personally engaging. As it was, every young lady was in raptures at dancing with him, and he did his best to dance with them all, and to try to stir up Norman, who, after Maida had been obliged to leave him, and go to act her share of the part of hostess, had disposed of himself against a wall, where he might live out the night. Ha! June! What makes you stand sentry there? Come and dance, and have some of the fun. Some of these girls are the nicest partners in the world. There's that Lady Alice, something with the dangling things in her hair, sitting down now, famous at a polka. Come along, I'll introduce you. It will do you good. I know nothing of dancing, said Norman, beginning to apprehend that he might be dragged off, as often he had been to cricket or football, and by much the same means. Comes by nature when you hear the music. Ha! What a delicious polka! Come along, or I must be off. She will be waiting for me, and she is the second prettiest girl here. Come! I have been trying to make something of him, Harry, said the ubiquitous Flora, but I don't know whether it is mauvaise honte or headache. I see. Poor old June, cried Harry. I'll get you an ice at once, old fellow. Nothing like one for setting a man going. Before Norman could protest, Harry had flown off. Flora asked Norman, Is... are the walking hames here? Yes. Don't you see Sir Henry? That fine-looking man with the black mustache. I want you to know him. He is a great admirer of your prize poem and of Dr. Spencer. Harry, returning, administered his ice, 
and then darted off to excuse himself to his partner by explanations about his brother whom everybody must have heard of as he was the cleverest fellow living and had written the best prize poem ever heard at oxford he firmly believed norman a much greater lion than himself norman was forced to leave his friendly corner to dispose of the glass of his ice and thus encountered miss rivers of whom sir henry was asking questions about a beautiful collection of cameos which flora had laid out as a company trap here is norman may said maida he knows them better than i do do you remember which of these is the head of diana norman having sent the two gentlemen to discuss them she glided away on fresh hospitable duties while norman repeated the comments that he had so enjoyed hearing from poor mr rivers hoping he was at least sparing made of some pain and wondering that flora should have risked hurting her feelings by exposing these treasures to the general gaze if norman were wearied by sir henry it was his own fault for the baronet was a very agreeable person who thought a first-class man worth cultivation so that the last half-hour might have compensated for all the rest if conversation were always the test why maida cried harry coming up to her you have not once danced we are a sort of brother and sister to be sure but that is no hindrance is it no said maida smiling thank you harry but you must find someone more worthy i do not dance this season at least not in public when we get home who knows what we may do you don't dance poor little maida and you don't go out what a pity i had rather not work quite so hard said maida think what good fortune i had by staying at home last night i declare exclaimed harry bewitched by the beaming congratulation of her look i can't imagine why norman had said you had turned into a fine lady i can't see a bit of it norman said i turned into a fine lady repeated maida why never mind i don't think so you are just like papa's hummingbird as you always were not a bit more of a fine lady than any girl here and i am sure papa would say so only old june had got a bad headache and is in one of his old dumps such as i hoped he had left off but he can't help it poor fellow and he will come out of it by and by so never mind hello why people are going away already there's that girl without any one to hand her downstairs away ran harry and presently the brothers and sisters gathered round the fire george declaring that he was glad that nuisance was so well over and harry exclaiming well done flora it was capital fun i never saw a lot of prettier or more good-natured people in my life if i am at home for the stoneborough ball i wonder whether my father will let me go to it this result of harry's successful debut in high life struck his sister and norman as so absurd that both laughed what's the matter now asked harry you're comparing flora's party to a stoneborough ball said norman it is all the same isn't it said harry i'm sure you are equally disgusted at both much you know about it said flora patting him gaily i'm not going to put conceit in that lion head of yours but you are as good as an indian prince to my party do you know to whom you have been talking so coolly of course you see norman it is just as i told you all civilized people are just alike when they get into a drawing-room harry takes large views of the genus homo norman exerted himself to say being used to the black and brown species he takes little heed of the lesser varieties it is enough for him that he does not furnish the entertainment in another way said flora but good-night 
Meta, you look tired. End of Part 2, Chapter 18 Recording by Nancy Cochran Gergen, Gilbert, Arizona